Well, welcome to Eastern Services. If you're cheerless, we are. We're so thrilled that you're with us and that you've joined us this weekend. Uh, this is our third service. We did last night at five o'clock. We had a wonderful family event last night. Thousands across the street at our campus west, and then at nine o'clock and at ten, uh, eleven o'clock this morning. Our third time to race the cross this weekend, and what an incredible, powerful symbol the cross is today. I would remind you that that cross is empty because. The Savior who died on the cross has done a finished work on the cross. I want to ask you to look on this side of the room and see that there is a symbol of the tomb on my left and on your right. I want you to notice that that's also empty because the Savior who died on the cross also rose from the dead on the third day. Don't you celebrate that this morning? Aren't you glad about that? I want to rejoice with you this morning about that very fact. That's why we're here. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask that you turn to Luke chapter 24 this morning and in addition to Luke 24, we'll look at Ephesians chapter 2 a little later in the service. So Luke 24, Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to be talking about what the cross and the tomb erase out of our lives. You'll notice on the worship guide that you have today a very unusual picture, that of a pencil and that of the name Easter and that being erased off of that. You'll also notice that you were given pencils as you came in today, and I hope that you'll have that pencil in your hand. I already saw a few moments ago that you had the card in your hand. But we're going to do kind of an exercise this morning before we get into the Scripture because I want you to see the power of an empty cross and an empty tomb for you, the relevance of what happened 2,000 years ago. We'll look at what happened 2,000 years ago, but let's spend a few moments in real time here today just for a moment as we get ready. As you hold that card in your hand, I want you to think with me for just a second about this question. What is it that you want removed from your life? We all want to erase something from our lives, don't we? Every one of us have something that we want to lose, want something we want to go away. For some of us in the room this morning, we want to lose weight. I'd like to lose weight, but that didn't keep me from eating about three donuts before I came out this morning. You're probably in the same boat. Most of you are. A lot of us want to lose inches off our waist. Some of us want to lose wrinkles or gray hair. How about anybody in the room that wants to lose their school debt or lose the debt on their home? They want that eradicated and removed away. We're going to think about some things we want to remove this morning and want to erase out of our lives. And I'm going to lead you through this exercise. Notice the pencil has an eraser on it for a reason. They make a great golf pencil, by the way. When you go golfing, they do not provide an eraser on the end of that little pencil when you play golf. They don't want you to lose those strokes. More about that in just a few moments. But reality is, this makes a great pencil for us to list the things that we want God to erase out of our lives. Now, I'm going to lead you to write something down, but before we do that, I want to walk you through this little exercise. I want you to think about it with me first. We're going to write down things that we want to erase. Things that we want God to remove out of our lives. Now, there's some ground rules to that this morning, this little exercise. For example, uh, we're not going to let you erase a person out of your life. Don't erase your neighbor. Don't erase your boss or your spouse, not even your ex. You can't even do that. Don't erase your parents if you're a young person today. You can't erase your parents out of your life either. But what about that certain chapter in your life that you wish you had never lived through and you wish it would move on where you don't have to think about it anymore. What, what about erasing something that you've done that you really, truly regret? And you look at back at that moment, that action, those words, that decision, and you regret that because of the incredible collateral damage it did and even the negative impact 
on your life. Think about those actions, those words that you might have said. What would you erase today that makes you feel far from God? That makes you feel that God is just in the distant altitude, way off from where you are, and you feel so far from him. What would you eradicate that bothers you at night when you lay on your bed and you think, why did I do that? Why did I say that? What about the habit that you had that you keep coming back to? You wander around, but you keep coming back to that same habit over and over, and you're saying, I really want that habit out of my life. What about the bad stuff that you don't talk about? What about the hurt? or the pain that's been inflicted upon you. Maybe the resentment or the bitterness towards the person that has deeply grieved you. Maybe the fear of death that you have in your mind is something you want removed and erased. Maybe the uncertainty of knowing what will happen to me when I die. Will my life have been worthwhile? For some of us, the whole idea of purpose in life is something that we uh, struggle with. We have meaningless lives and we have purposeless lies, and we'd like to eradicate those things, whatever they are. Maybe something I've named, maybe something else. I want you to take time to actually write them down today. Now, this little exercise is not for your neighbor. It's not to hand in. We're not going to ask you for these at the end. This is not something you uh, put in an offering plate, but it's something hopefully you'll put in your Bible, something hopefully you'll pray over, and something hopefully you'll look at for answers when we talk about the relevance of an empty cross, an empty tomb. And I don't want you to look at anybody else's paper while you write this down. So I want to see those pencils moving for just a moment. Just walk with me through this today because this is part of what the Scripture tells us to do when it comes to application. And we're going to begin the aspect of application right now. And as we walk through the text, we're going to show you how it applies. So just write something down that, that, that comes to your mind as I introduced this to you a moment ago. Now, I went back uh, before the services and I actually wrote down my list. On my list is a sinful past. I always like to erase memories of a sinful past. Habitual sin is something I wrote down. Selfishness. Those moments where I was selfish and made decisions based on me and not on anyone else. Rebellion was a part of my life early on and I wrote that down. As well as fear of death that gripped me as a young boy. I want you to write those things down right now that impact you. And today we're going to look at these two symbols and the reality of how they remove and erase and eradicate certain things out of our life. Whatever they are, write them down in bullet points just so you'll know. And today we're going to look at how they can be removed, okay? You game with me? Are you with me this morning? Here's how we're going to do it. We're going to look at Luke chapter 24, and I want you to turn to Luke 24. And in that chapter is an account of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Chapter 23 talks about Jesus' burial, the taking of the body of Jesus off of the cross. We'll speak more about that in just a few moments. Chapter 24 begins actually at the tomb. You have a symbol of the tomb here. The large rock upon which they laid the body of Jesus is symbolized by this massive boulder with the linen cloth on top of that. So these two symbols are going to be forefront in your mind as we look at what it says in Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 1. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. 
While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing. And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words and returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. It's just after this that Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene and then also to the other Mary. And they come running back to tell the disciples and Peter and John run to the tomb to find out for themselves that the tomb is indeed empty, that Jesus indeed has risen from the dead. And what Luke gives us is an amazing account of that. Let's spend some time in past time, historical time, to remember what happened. As you see this cross, I want you to remember all the Gospels point to the fact that Jesus Christ was crucified on the cross and literally paid for the sins of mankind. So the cross would be about this size. It would have impaled a man, a normal-sized man like Jesus Christ. It would have been uh, covered with the blood and the water that came out of his heart as well. And it would be a brutal instrument of death. The whole idea of Roman crucifixion was to inflict pain and agony on the prisoner that was being impaled on the cross. And the whole idea of Isaiah 53, as he foretells the life and death of Jesus, is that he would be bruised and put to death for our behalf, and that it would please the Father to bruise the Son. Look at the cross for a moment. The Bible says in Luke 23 that a man named Joseph of Arimathea, a secret disciple, he was wealthy, who owned a tomb for his family, came and took down the body of Jesus off the cross. All four Gospels have that account. John says that it took great courage for Joseph to come to Pilate and ask for the body of Jesus. But when he asked for the body, Pilate said, make sure he's dead. And as soon as the soldiers went out and thrust the sword into Jesus' side, ensuring that he was dead, Joseph of Arimathea came, and by all accounts that we can find in Scripture and in other biblical literature and extra-biblical literature, Joseph of Arimathea alone took Jesus' body down off the cross. I can't imagine how he took the pegs out of the wood. I can't imagine how he got Jesus down off that cross and wrapped him in linen. Literally, the Bible says in Luke 23 that he took him to the tomb which is represented by this rock on the other side of the stage. As he carried the limp, dead body of Jesus wrapped in that linen, another man joined him as he reached the tomb. This man's name was Nicodemus. You may remember Nicodemus from John chapter 3. A man who came to Jesus by night. He was a religious leader and didn't want anyone else to know. Apparently, Joseph of Arimathea was a secret admirer of Jesus. Nicodemus, from that day on, had been impacted by the life and words of Jesus. These two men met at this tomb and laid the body of Jesus down in the tomb. These symbols represent something very real, upon which a man, Jesus Christ, died and was buried and rose again the third day. Our text points out that picture. Now, the evidence of the resurrection is very real and totally, completely verifiable. I doubt if any in this room are here today 
hoping to find more historical evidence or more archaeological evidence that Jesus Christ existed, that he died on the cross, that he rose again the third day. I hope that you don't want me to drag out some archaeological tools and prove to you yet again what's been proven over and over and over, that Jesus literally lived, he literally died on the cross, he was literally dead, he was literally placed in a, in a tomb, and he literally rose again the third day, and we celebrate that today as fact. Are you with me this morning? That's the reality. That's the reality. But what we do have a question about today is, what is the relevance? Yes, he died. Yes, he was buried. Yes, he rose again from the dead. But what is the relevance of that to me? If you want more evidence about the facts about Jesus' life, death, crucifixion, resurrection, I suggest you open the book by Lee Strobel called The Case for Christ. I suggest you see the movie. Lee Strobel was this award-winning journalist and researcher who so disliked his wife's newfound faith in Christ that he set out to disprove it. He was going to disprove the existence of Jesus. He was going to disprove the resurrection of Jesus. And so he went in every direction to try to disprove the, wife, the, his, his, the faith of his wife, and he set out to do that with intent in mind of totally ridiculing and disproving it all. But on the contrary, what happened is that Lee Strobel came to realize that what he was trying to disprove could not be disproven because it was actual fact. He embraced Christ as Lord and Savior, and now today his mission is to let everyone know this is reality and it impacts our lives. So what about the relevance of the cross? What about the relevance of the tomb? Well, today we want to look at that question and I want to share five things with you that the cross and the empty tomb remove and eradicate out of your life. So I want you to have your pencil in hand and I want you to have your card in front of you because some of those things that you've written about today we will address. Paul, 30 years after the resurrection of Christ, writes in the book of Ephesians. It's a powerful letter to the church at Ephesus. And in this letter to the church at Ephesus, he details the impact of the cross. He tells us, so what? He says, yes, Jesus died. Yes, he rose from the dead, but so what? How does that impact us? How does that change us? How does that change life as we know it? Let me just say something to you today. If the cross of the tomb haven't impacted you to be different from what you were before, maybe today you need to understand exactly how that works because it does change lives. Five things that the cross removes and the tomb removes. Number one, spiritual separation is removed. Spiritual separation is removed. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, and you were dead in your trespasses and sin. I don't know about you, but I, I dislike being separated from my loved ones. I've got a son that lives in Denver, a daughter, and son-in-law that live in Chicago. My father lives in Phoenix, and I just hate the distance. I hate the distance because our lives are kind of growing apart when I'd really rather them somewhat grow together. I'd love to be with them more. We are distanced by geographical distance. We are separated by uh, locale where we live. But we also find that we are sometimes distanced from God. Your distance from God is not one of geographical proximity. God is everywhere. God is here. God is all over. God is spirit. He is omnipresent, the Bible says, everywhere at all times. But our distance from God is by nature. 
The Bible says here in Ephesians chapter 2 that we were dead, spiritually dead, in our trespasses and sin. We're different from God, and most of us have experienced that. Our alienation, as again, is one of nature. He's God, we're human. He's spirit, we're flesh. He's holy, we're sinful. He's life, we're death. The alienation and hostility that we sometimes feel between ourselves and God is a result of our spiritual deadness, as though a veil or a wall was built up between ourselves and God. If you've ever felt that, maybe that's something you wrote down. I want to address it today, and here's how I will address that. The Bible says, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, the wall of separation between God and man was removed. The veil was rent from the top to the bottom. The Bible says that those of us who were far from God were brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. You see, you couldn't close that gap, but God could through his son, Jesus Christ, and that's exactly what he did at the cross. That empty tomb for you represents the closure of a gap, the opening up of a wall, the opening up of a veil, the ability to be close to God, to know God, and to not be separated from him anymore. Now this morning, if you wrote down that you sometimes feel alienated from God, and that's something that, that you wrote down as a factor in your life, I want you to take your eraser, and I want you to spend just a moment and erase that distance from God. If that's what she wrote down, just erase that for just a moment because biblically, truthfully, that is no longer a factor because of the cross of Jesus Christ. Secondly, the Bible says that our sinful past is erased. This is my personal favorite. I really, they're all my favorites, but this one stands out a lot. Our sinful past is erased. The Bible says we were, in past tense, by nature, Children of wrath, even as all the rest. Here's the truth. The reason Jesus Christ died on the cross is because of God's righteous and holy indignation against the sinful mankind. It means that we were before Christ like a target on us of God's holy wrath. And that if we absorbed God's holy wrath as a holy, just God, that we would be annihilated. We would be separated from him forever. But Jesus Christ died on that cross and absorbed the wrath of holy God. That's why God was pleased to bruise his son, because he was an intermediary. He was an intercessor for us. He is the one that stands in the gap for us, and it's because of that there is forgiveness of sin. I don't know about you, but that sets my joy uh, in my heart up high. It's an exciting thing to know. I'm forgiven for all those past things in my life because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Now, we love forgiveness. We love forgiveness of all kinds. Insurance companies today advertise about insurance forgiveness or accident forgiveness. You know what that means, don't you? It means simply that if you have a wreck and it's your fault and you did wrong and you caused a collision, your insurance company will not only not cancel you, but they will not raise your rate. It's as though you never did anything wrong in the first place. Accident forgiveness. People are flocking towards insurance companies that offer that because it's as though you did nothing wrong. I was reading the other day about <clears throat> the use of the mulligan in the golf game. How many of you know what a mulligan is? Would you raise your hand? I love mulligans. You know, I'm not a frequent golfer, but I love them. I began to do some research into mulligans, and uh, as I did that research, I found something out amazing. It was so encouraging. Here's what it is. In golf, and I'm reading Wikipedia, a mulligan is a stroke that is replayed from the spot of the previous stroke without penalty due to an errant shot made on the previous stroke. Though banned in tournament play and casual play, mulligans, now catch this, this, this is invigorating. 
Mulligan speed play by reducing the time spent searching for a lost ball. That's happened to me a lot. Reduces frustration and irritation on the part of the golfer and increases enjoyment of the game because the golfer can shake off a bad shot more easily with their second chance. Now get this, this is amazing, I didn't know this. If a mulligan is allowed to be used to replay any shot, each player is typically given 18 mulligans per round. I'm taking up golf again. <laughs> I could be an amazing golfer if I have 18 do-overs. That's incredible. The result is that the hole is played and scored as if the first errant shot had never been made. I'm not here to talk to you about mulligans. I'm not here to talk to you about golf. I'm here to talk to you about sin and the forgiveness that a Savior gives us on the cross. It is as though what you have done, no matter how hideous, no matter how despicable, how rebellious, how awful, how humiliating, no matter what you've done, Jesus' blood on the cross was enough to forgive you of sin and make it as though you've never sinned before in the eyes of God. That's what that cross represents for you today. Forgiveness, removal of our past sin. I want you to get your eraser out. Some of you have written down actions, words, lies you've told painful conversations you've had that were wrong, memories, regrets. You may have cursed God. You may have responded harshly to God in some way. Even that is forgiven. Whatever sinful thing you've written down, let me tell you today, this cross represents the sufficiency of Jesus Christ's blood to forgive you of sin. If your sin is so grievous that he cannot forgive it, he's not a sufficient God. But because his blood was unblemished and spotless, the Bible says, he can forgive you of anything. So reality is, you need to have an eraser erasing all those past things in your life that you've written down. Sinful past is erased. Number three, selfish inclination is neutralized. The Bible says we formerly walked according to the course of the world. See, the power and lure of sin are, are difficult. We are given a tendency to sin at birth. And at the new birth, something else happens. The old nature no longer can dominate us, even though sometimes we allow it to. But the new nature, given at the new birth, when we come to put our faith and trust in Christ, is a brand new nature guaranteed by the fact that Jesus died and rose again from the dead, not only conquering death, but conquering the power of sin. Sin could not hold him back. It could hold you back, but it couldn't hold him back. And because it couldn't hold him back and he overcame it, in him, you're an overcomer as well. Isn't that great news? That's phenomenal news. To know that you can neutralize the power of sin through the power of Jesus Christ. That means that I can erase those sinful, harmful habits, and I can just erase them. That means I can literally know that the reality of the truth of Scripture tells me that no longer is that habit or that hopelessness still a reality in my life. It doesn't have to be. It tells me that even the strongholds that have held me back over the years can be erased and eradicated because of the power of Jesus Christ. So I want you to erase all those things that hold you back, those things that are selfless inclinations 
that have been neutralized by the power of Christ. Number four, number four, physical death is overcome. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, 5, he made us alive together with Christ. Now, you and I both know this. The inevitable conclusion of every human being on planet Earth is death, except for those in Christ. Probably one of the most famous statements ever made was Benjamin Franklin's statement made hundreds of years ago. In this world, nothing can be said to be certain except death and taxes. Sadly, because it's April 16th, one of those will happen to all of us in the next couple of days. Well, let me just tell you, one of them doesn't have to be death. It's when we put our faith and trust in the one who overcame death, we'll live forever in him. Now, I want you to think about what that means for us today. It means that Jesus came with the purpose of giving life. You know, when Jesus came to planet Earth, began to walk and teach, he began dealing death a blow, if you will. Jesus came raising the dead. There was a man named Lazarus who was in a tomb very much like the tomb Jesus had been in. And that man, Lazarus, had been dead for four days. And as Jesus was summoned, he came gradually, slowly, so that by the time he got there, it had been four days, they came to him as he was approaching the tomb and said, it's too late, Jesus. His body stinks at this point. And Jesus said, you only believe. You'll only believe. He that believes in me, though he dies, yet will he live again. And he calls Lazarus out of the tomb. That's another historical fact. Even the chief priests and the Pharisees and the Sadducees verify that Lazarus came back from the dead. In fact, they tried to put him back to death because he was such a convincing testimony of the power of Christ. Lazarus comes out of the grave. Jesus came to deal with death, and he dealt with it well. I want you to notice what it says in another gospel, Matthew chapter 27, one of those unusual texts. And I love this text because we sometimes read over it, just like the story of Joseph of Arimathea or Nicodemus meeting together at the tomb with the body of Jesus. Matthew 27 is often overlooked. But at the point of the crucifixion of Christ, when Jesus was hanging on that cross, the scripture says, Jesus cried out with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit and behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now, the temple curtain separated the Holy of Holies from everyone that would want to come and worship. Only the high priest could come, and only once a year on the Day of Atonement. But when that veil was torn from top to bottom, it signified the veil had been separated, the wall had been torn down. We could approach God through Christ. And it says that the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Did you know that? Did you know when Jesus died, he dealt death a death blow? And literally those that were in the tombs, the rocks opened up, and they came up out of the tombs alive again. Old Testament saints alive again. And by the time three days had passed, and Jesus was risen from the dead, they went into the holy city, Jerusalem, and were seen by many. These are eyewitnesses that verify Matthew's account and the account of the gospel. Jesus didn't come just to challenge death. He came to eradicate death and to overcome it, to disarm the fear of death, to disarm the intimidation and the separation of death. Jesus has done it with that empty tomb. That means because Jesus Christ rose from the dead, then my precious mother that died 20 years ago is yet alive in Christ. And it means I'll see her again. 
It means those that have gone before us who believe in Christ are living that eternal existence and will be with them again. It means that that death is not so intimidating anymore. It means that that fear is not so gripping anymore. If you wrote down like I did, fear of death, I want you to erase that from your guide because the Bible says the fear of death can be eradicated. Number five, Ephesians says the meaningless life is replaced. You see, some of us a few moments ago wrote down, you know, my, my purpose in life, my meaning in life is a mess. I don't know why I'm here. I don't know what God has planned for me. But the Bible says in Ephesians 2.10, we're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he has prepared beforehand that we should walk in. Our existence has meaning. It has purpose. It's been, that meaningless life has been replaced by a divine life where an empty cross and an empty tomb has a life that's vibrant and alive and spiritual in nature and spiritual in purpose. No longer do you have to consider yourself just a member of the rat race. No longer do you have to consider that you just work in order to pay off debt and you just make it from day to day. You have meaning. You have purpose. Christ called you to a brand new life. If you'll have it, if you'll follow him, you can have a brand new life in Christ. And that's one of the reasons we celebrate today. Now, let me take you back to pastime for just one more moment. Luke 24, beyond verse 10, tells us another story of two men. These men were walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus, a distance of about seven miles. And it was just after Mary had told the disciples the tomb is empty. And as these two men make their way down the road to Emmaus, another man joins them. That other man is Jesus Christ. These two men are not allowed to recognize him, not allowed to see who he really was. And so they began to converse, and Jesus said, what are you talking about? And they said, have you, not, have you not been aware of all that's going on? Did you not know about this man, Jesus, who lived a righteous and holy life, who was fulfilling prophecy, who died on the cross, and after he died on the cross, they put him in a tomb? And haven't you heard that when they came to find his body in the tomb on the third day, he wasn't there anymore? And as Jesus walked with them, they began to tell him those things. And at the end of the journey, the Bible says that the Lord allowed them to see who he really was. And the moment they saw who he really was, he disappeared from their midst at that moment. But the Bible leaves one verse behind that helps us know how they felt at that moment when they recognized that even though he had died, even though he was missing from the tomb, he was still with them, still fulfilling his promises, still walking with them and inviting them to follow him. And here's the verse. They said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us? You know, if I had one prayer for the way we conclude this service, is that that would be many in this room whose hearts are burning when they see the account of the cross and they see the account of the tomb, knowing both are empty, knowing that he is alive, knowing that he still walks with us, knowing that he still reveals himself to us, and he still answers our prayers. You see, this morning, you're called upon to believe something not just simply as historical fact, but as a personal God who came in a very personal way through Jesus Christ, who died to death with you in mind, he rose from the dead with you in mind, and whoever lives with you in mind, that you would come 
to place your trust in him as Lord and as Savior. You know, everything else in this world wants to take life away from you. Only one person wants to give life to you, and it's Jesus. I want you to bow your head for just a moment. I want you to close your eyes. The images that I want in your mind for these next couple of minutes are an empty cross and an empty tomb. Hopefully over the last few moments you took some time to erase some of those things that we wrote down. And you erase very significant, meaningful things in your life that you truly want removed. If you've done that, if you've actually taken the time to erase those with an eraser, it's a vivid picture of what God can remove from your life because of an empty cross and an empty tomb. Those can be gone. But here's your part. Your part is personally responding to a God who came to demonstrate his love for you. It's almost as though he's made a proposal, a proposal for marriage, a proposal for a covenant relationship. What will you say to him? Will you walk out as though no proposal has ever been made? Will you listen to the proposal and leave and not be impacted at all by the radical love of a God who sends his son to die on a cross for you even though we're not worthy? Or will you say yes to this God? Put your faith in him and trust him. I'm going to ask our prayer counselors to come to the front. And as they come, I want you to see they'll be standing across the front over these next few moments. This is an invitation for you to respond. And my prayer is that you will respond as soon as my closing prayer. I'll have a closing prayer after I ask you to stand in just a moment. These are incredible moments for you to just think about that cross and think about that tomb and think about that man who died and rose again. Think about why it is that billions celebrate his resurrection today. I hope when you celebrate today with us that you can celebrate in understanding, the understanding that he does change lives. He does give new hope, new life, new forgiveness. And I'm gonna ask you to stand right now if you would, all of us across the room. I'm about to have this closing word of prayer. As soon as I pray, I want you to consider this opportunity. Even though our service is dismissed, this time of decision goes on. And I encourage some of you to walk forward, to stand next to one of these individuals and say, I, I want today to act on what the cross and the tomb say that can be removed from my life. I want you to help me understand what that means. I want to know what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I want to know what it means to be alive in Christ, to have all those things eradicated so that I can have a meaningful, purposeful life in Christ. I want that empty cross and that empty tomb to mean something to me for the rest of my life. And I can only do that if you personally respond. My closing prayer is a dismissal, but it's not the end of a time of decision. These individuals are standing at the front. They can't wait for you to walk forward. They can't wait for you to pause for just a moment, walk forward and say, talk to me about this life that we've been listening to. Talk to me about how to make this real, how I can personally respond to Christ. What matters is not what we do in this service. What matters is what you do with it, with the truth you hear. Let's bow together and pray. Father, I want to thank you so much that you have done so many things to change the course of our life. Through Jesus Christ's death and burial and resurrection, we have new life and we have forgiveness and we're eradicated from that sinful grip that's been on us. And Father, I thank you so much that today we can look at that, remember that, and we can see those symbols not as just historical facts, but Lord, something personal 
I ask you today to let everybody in the room have the courage, the burning in their heart to respond because they know they need to decide what to do with you. What else can we do but say yes because of your great love for us. Thank you, Father. We ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.